You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. And Father, we stop right now to pause and to be still and know the glorious truth that we have just sung, that you alone are God. Father, there is none beside you. There is none that can stand against you. There is no power in this world that you have not already overcome through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf upon the cross. And I pray we would take great faith in that today, great joy in that today, great peace in that today, great confidence in that today that cannot be shaken. Father, I pray that as your spirit continues to work in this place now, I pray that you would find hearts that are hungry to hear from you. You would find hearts that are longing to know you and to love you more today. Father, I pray for that. I pray this would be a place of uh, encouragement for those who are in despair, a place of strength for those who are feeling weak, a place of truth for those who are in doubt, or a place of peace for those who are anxious and Father I pray that uh, Lord you would continue to open every eye to see, ear to hear and heart to respond what you would say to your church that we would eagerly, willingly humble ourselves under the authority of your word now that we would not have prideful hearts and be like those who look in a mirror and forget what we look like but God you would press this word into our hearts Lord start with me Start with me, that we would be changed people from the ones that walked in here. Father, guard my mouth from error and have your way in this place. Do what you need to do. Say what you want to say and get every shred of glory that you are so worthy of. We pray this in the awesome, majestic, and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. May be seated. Well, praise the Lord. What a what an incredible weekend it has been so far, Harvest Brampton, to be able to be back here with you, my wife Natalie and I, and on behalf of our children, we just want to say thank you so much to you and to Pastor Ted and uh, the other elders here at the church for inviting us to come and open up God's Word with you this morning. And it is a joy. It is such a joy to be here. We love you so much. And before we dive into the text this morning, I just wanted to give you a brief update on some of the things that God is doing in our nation's capital. And believe it or not, God is at work in our nation's capital. Amen? He is at work in our nation's capital. And as I was thinking about what to share with you, it hit me. Uh, did you know in two months, on the weekend of April 1st, April 2nd, Easter weekend, um, it's our one-year anniversary as a church. What's up with that? Okay, praise the Lord for that. Coming up in just two months from now, where's the time gone? You know, and that is just a beautiful, beautiful testament to the grace of God. 
and some things that are happening even right now. Uh, we just launched our small groups at the last week of January. And these are now spread out all across the city from the west side in the center to the east side and out in Orleans. And they're all over and they're full. All our small groups are at capacity right now. And that's a beautiful issue to have. And each of those small groups has an apprentice couple, which Lord willing will see multiply and double the amount of small groups as the Lord leads in the fall. And so God is working there. And with that, uh, we're seeing the training up uh, and equipping of new leaders and new teachers in uh, Harvest Kids. Just got an email this morning from one of our Harvest Kids teachers saying, Pastor Ray, can you look over my devotion I want to share with the team this morning? And like just the, the hunger for the Lord and to see God's word go forth is stirring and so many reasons to be excited for that. Another, uh, another thing that God is doing, which is very exciting for me personally as well, is God's favor. God's favor that he's giving with the school that we are in and the community that is around it. And just one a testimony to that is two weeks ago we had our most recent party with the pastors. And uh, one of the couples that was there I hadn't met before. And apparently they'd been coming for two or three weeks at that point. And I went up to them. I said, so how did you, how did you hear about Harvest? And uh, the wife looked at me and she said, well, I'm a teacher at this school and I walked in here to do some prep work one Sunday and you were all here and I wanted to find out what goes on here and Pastor Ray, we're not going to leave. We love this church. That's, that's awesome. And that's a testament to the grace of God that he's stirring a hunger in our city. Um, another thing that I, I love to see is the multiculturalism in our church. It reminds me of this. I say this quite often. It's like a mini heavens rehearsal every Sunday. And uh, the Lord has literally brought every tribe, tongue, and nation to our nation's capital. And we are seeing that reflected in the increasing diversity around us. That is so precious. And so thank you for your prayers and for your support for us. Uh, we would love to have you come visit and see firsthand what God is doing. Some three key areas I would love for you to join us in prayer for moving forward is this. Number one is for a full-time worship leader. And uh, please pray uh, that this man that God selects would uh, not just have a passion for leading worship, but we're also going to have him directing our small group ministry as well. So please be in prayer for that with us. And um, for us as elders, uh, increasing faith. Increasing faith as God continues to advance his kingdom and, and what that looks like for us in Ottawa and beyond and the decisions we need there and the wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord uh, as we make those decisions and care and shepherd our people well and in love. So we appreciate your prayers for that and look forward to giving you more updates in the season ahead. And even as cool as that is, we get to do something even better right now. You ready? We get to open God's word and we're going to open up to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. And if you do not have a Bible in front of you, put your hand up nice and high because our ushers are coming forward right now and they would love to put one in your hand. And you're going to want to follow along in God's word this morning. We're going to be looking at some of these key things, key truths in this passage today and you won't want to forget them. And if you don't have a Bible at home, keep that as a free gift for you so you can continue to draw near to the Lord in your God time and grow in Him. The title of this morning's message is Living a life of victory. 
living a life of victory. Now, a lot, when you hear a title like that, there's a lot of connotation, there's a lot of perception, a lot of opinions that can uh, come into our mind as to what that looks like. So let me just start off with this question while you're turning their church, and it is this, what does it mean to live a victorious life? When you hear that term, the victorious life, the overcoming life, what does that even mean? What does it even look like? Any ideas that come into your mind? See, the reason why that's important is because there's an increasingly prevalent lie in the world today that living a victorious life or conquering or overcoming the world is obtained through, well, let's just take a look at some of these, okay? Predominant ones. Finances. Finances. The saying is this, you want to live a victorious life, you want to overcome, you want to conquer the world, be that self-made man or woman, you want to do it, have enough money. Okay, question, how much money is enough? You got a number? How much is enough? Where do you draw the line? Is that your standard? That's a sliding scale, that's not going to last. Okay, so let's look at another thing and say, well your career, you want to live a victorious life, you want to overcome the world? Ascend the corporate ladder. Go to the next pay grade. Okay, all right, so let's um, break that down a little bit. What happens when you get sick and you can't work anymore? Does that mean your life is a failure now? You see the dead ends that these, this thinking leads to? How about this one? Social status. I mean, this, this picture, does it not describe our society today? If you get enough selfies, if you have enough Facebook friends... Then you're living that victorious life. If you're the head of the social media stream. If you get so many likes on Facebook. Or take that, extend that. Say, you're, you're living a victorious life if you get a spouse. If you're single, man, that's like a curse. Really? You got to get a boyfriend. You got to get a girlfriend. You, or if you're married, you got to have kids. Or you're not overcoming. Really? Really? Careful. Careful. How about this? possessions, get the house, get the pool, get the car, get the clothes, get the stuff. Really, how much stuff's enough? Here, here, spoiler alert, someone's always got a bigger house than you. Where does that end? Or this, and students, we have a ton of students in our church in Ottawa, and I see a number here. How about your GPA? Get a high enough GPA and you'll get all the opportunities that you need to, to be successful. Don't trust God that he knows exactly the GPA that you need to get where he wants you to go. Just study hard, get the good GPA, and make that your focus. Okay, careful, careful. And the issue here is that many people, including Christians, are being deceived by this mindset. Now, I want to I qualify that and say this. None of these things in and of themselves are bad things. Study hard, get a good grade. Yeah, great. Glorify the Lord with that. You know, the Lord, money is not evil in and of itself. God gives us money to steward for his glory. Having a house is not evil in and of itself. But when it's out of order, that's where we start to be deceived. And there's a problem. And it is that instead of living in the freedom of true victory, people are living in the bondage of slavery to this world and they don't even know it. Why? Why? Why is that? Because the very things, these very things, 
that this world says will deliver them are the very things that are enslaving them. Why is that? How do we know that? Because true victory over this world can only be found in one place, Jesus Christ. Let's just front load that right now. True victory in this world can only be found in one place, through one name, and that is Jesus Christ. And here in this final chapter of 1 John, John finishes his letter to the church in Asia Minor with a focus on assurance, assuring them of the victorious life that every true follower of Christ has. I'm not talking about those who say they follow Jesus but actually don't. That should be a warning for some of us in here today. I'm talking about every genuine born-again follower of Jesus Christ. And all he's been writing up to now has been to this point. As a church in Ottawa, we have just finished going through the entire book of 1 John. We finished last Sunday. And everything that John has been writing is coming to this climax in this chapter of assurance. And why is John doing this? Because of the false teachers he's writing to counter, which are distorting the true gospel. They were called the Gnostics back in John day, John's days of 90, 95 A.D. And they were distorting the true gospel and the freedom and victory it gives us through Christ. And here John gives us three keys to victory, three keys to victory that we must embrace, we must embrace them, loved ones, if we are to overcome the world and its trials, deceptions, temptations, and opposition that we will face from it. We must embrace these three keys to victory. Let's read, starting in verse 1, overcoming the world. Everyone who believes that Jesus, Christ, that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, the first thing we see here, loved ones, is this. To live in victory over the world, key to victory number one is you must have a saving faith in Christ. This is where everything starts. You must have a saving faith in Christ. Look at this first half of verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. John begins by stating that the starting place where having victory in this life begins is only in and can only be in believing that Jesus is the Christ. Now, okay, when you hear that word Christ, let's get on the same page. We want to make God's word clear as possible. What does Christ actually mean? The Greek word there for Christ means Messiah, only Savior of the world, and the Son of God. There's a lot of people out there who say, I believe in God, but when you mention the name of Jesus, you get a different reaction, don't you? Yeah, I know about Jesus. Wasn't he a prophet? He wasn't the son of God. He wasn't the only savior of the world. He wasn't the Messiah. Careful. Only those who believe that Jesus is the Christ are born of God. And John here isn't talking of some vague intellectual commitment where someone simply knows about Christ. Yeah, I know about Jesus, and I know I go and worship him at Christmas and Easter. I'm a, I'm a C&E Christian. Be careful. He's not talking about some vague intellectual commitment. 
who follows or obeys him when they feel like it. I, yeah, I'll, I love the world so much over here, but I'll get my Jesus on the side. And I'll try to get him to compensate for what I'm not getting in the world. Careful. Don't be deceived. He says, in terms of the word believes there, where he goes on, everyone who believes means to have faith in or trust in with his whole heart. One that has a personal, saving relationship with him. It's a wholehearted commitment to him through a personal relationship that perseveres throughout one's life and displays a permanent, enduring dedication to Christ. This is where everything starts. It has to start here. It can't start anywhere else. Everywhere else leaves you with a dead end. And then watch this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, look at the back half of that, has been born of God. Now, what does that mean, born of God? The Greek there means this for that term, given a new nature. The very, don't miss this, the very nature of God himself. The very nature of God himself. You are literally made a new person from the inside out through God's power within you. Don't miss that. When God gives you his new nature, if we repent of our sin and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he gives you his new nature and he's continually perfecting that inside of you into eternity. And he's literally making you a new person from the inside out. And do you notice this? Notice this? Did you know our hearts, every heart in this room, every heart that you will pass on the street today, in the restaurant today, in your neighborhood today, is longing to be made new in Jesus Christ. Longing to be made new. How do we know that? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. God has put eternity in the hearts of man. There is an eternal longing put in every single heart of every human being who has ever lived or who will ever live. That can only be filled through Jesus Christ. And you say, well, wait, that's stretching it. Really? Every human being? There's just this longing? Yeah, just look around. I did a quick search on Google, loved ones. Didn't take me long to find this. Just look around today. You see advertisements like this, okay? Hey, only you can bring out the new in you. Train with Juan. He'll get you there. Really? 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 You sure, Juan? That's a big promise, man. The July New You Challenge. Win the body of your dreams. Be made new. Coming soon. If you want to get fit, you got to want it. You got to want it. Do you want it? See, see this, is, this message is just one example. This is plaguing our society. This longing to be made new. In fact, we just celebrated the new year. So I did a little research on New Year's resolutions for 2018. Do you know what the top one was that was right up there with losing weight? Guess. There's a hint. To be a better or new person. Number one. To live in new ways. To be changed in new ways. Where does this longing come from? You can't find the new you apart from Jesus Christ. And so in our desire for it, our sinful flesh is lured in and deceived by the world into trying to fill this desire with things that can never do it and ends up being further enslaved to the very things that promise deliverance. It's a dead end. It's a deception. 
When we are saved through Jesus Christ, and he makes us a new person, he's not talking, hey, hey, we have to understand this. He is not talking about just, hey, here, I'm going to help you shed a few pounds and you'll be made new. I'm going to give you a little facelift, but the old you will still be there. I'm going to polish you up a little bit, give you a little Botox, and then it'll be okay. You'll look new. That's what this world promises makes you new. Jesus Christ, when he saves you and he says, I make you a new creation, he goes way beyond that. When you are born again, he completely transforms you into a new person. You say, can you back that up? Yes, I can. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You'll see it on the screen. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old person you used to be, the one that was enslaved to sin, the one that was spiritually dead, has now passed away and is dead. And the new, the new you in Jesus Christ, the new identity has come. Now, before we move on, we're going to unpack what this new nature actually is, so we're very clear. You're going to want to write this down. Here's seven things that the new nature means for us. What does this new nature look like? Number one, it gives us new power to fight sin and to obey Christ. Because you and I can't obey Christ on our own. It is impossible. We can't earn that. We can't earn merit with God. We can't earn our salvation. We can't follow his commands without his power in us. Ephesians 3.16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with, say that all together with me, power through his spirit in your inner being, the new you, the new identity, the new nature. This new power to fight sin and to obey him then leads to this. New power leads to a new heart and new spirit. New heart and new spirit. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. God says this. He says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove, I love this, I will remove the heart of stone, the one that is hardened to God right now, the one that is in rebellion against God right now and is spiritually dead. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, one that is new, one that is tender, one that is desirous for what God's heart is for you and for others. What does the new nature look like? First off, he gives us new power. Secondly, from that power, he gives us new heart and new spirit. What happens from the heart? This is why God goes after the heart. The heart is the wellspring of life. It literally controls your mind, your thoughts, your words, your actions. It's the center of you. So what happens when the heart changes? Here it is, new nature, new desires. New desires that increasingly desire what God wants in righteousness and holiness and not desiring what this world says we should desire. New heart leads to new desires. To be able to look at the world and say, no thanks. To see it for what it is. And by the power of Christ that is growing in you, desiring holiness and righteousness. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 says this. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with deceitful desires 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God. There's the image of God, the nature of God, I love that, in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. Put on the new self. What does a new nature look like? Born of God, you have new power. New power leading to new heart and new spirit. New heart leading to new desires. What do new desires lead to? The key was in Ephesians 4 there. Next one is this. He gives you a new mind. Gives you a new mind. Thinking about what honors the Lord in our situations. His priorities and not the world. How do we know this? Look at 1 Corinthians 2.16. It says this. But we have the mind of Christ. Love it. We have the mind of of Christ when you're looking at the internet and no one else is around. If you are born again in Jesus Christ, he has given you a new mind to discern what your priority needs to be in that situation, to pursue holiness and righteousness. He's given you a new mind when you're in that argument with your spouse of what is right in humbling yourself instead of defending in pride. Holiness and righteousness. New power, new heart, new desires, new mind. What does a new mind lead to? New image. New image. The image of God growing in us and not the image that the world wants us to have and says we must keep up if we're to be accepted. You notice this? What was the cool image five years ago is not the cool image today. When I was growing up, the pogo ball was the thing you needed to be cool and to be accepted. Ever heard of a pogo ball? You're like, me? Yeah, that's exactly the point. It doesn't last. What the world says, you need to keep up this image. Really? Really? How about Christ's image? Look at this image, Colossians 3, 12 to 13. Put on then. Notice at the exhortation, you've got to keep putting it on by the power of the Holy Spirit. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here it is. Compassionate hearts, new self, compassion. Kindness, humility, meekness, which is power under control, and patience. Now just take a look at those qualities on that verse. Is our world not crying out for those things? And as you see that, just think about your, your last week for a second. Do you honestly believe that those things come naturally? Humility? How about humility in uh, the next time you're arguing with your spouse? Do you think that comes naturally? Patience when you're caring for your children. Think that comes naturally? I will testify to that. The answer is no. Okay, it doesn't. Right? But by the power of Christ in us. What does a new nature look like? New power, new heart, new spirit, new desires leading to a new mind, leading to a new image. What does this new image lead us to then? Here it is new freedom. New freedom. You're no longer, you and I are no longer slaves to the sin that controlled us. We are no longer slaves to that. Romans 6.6 6 says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Get that? To nothing. 
nothing. That means it's not like, yeah, okay, you're, you're in Jesus Christ, but this still has a hold on you. No, that's been brought to nothing. You know what the Greek word means for nothing? Nothing. <laughs> Done, finished, destroyed, killed. There's nothing left of your old self being brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That struggle that you're having right now, that temptation that seems so strong, that anger that you just can't kick. Listen, whose power are you trying to kick it on? If you are in Jesus Christ, that does not have a hold on you anymore. That impatience, that anxiety, that worry, that doubt, that fear of man, that fear of failure. If you are a new creation in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave to that. The devil can talk to you, but he cannot touch you. You understand? He can talk to you, but he cannot. Yeah, that's worth clapping about. Praise the Lord. He cannot touch you. The only way that you continue to fall under that is if you allow him influence. And instead of putting on the new self, you continue to dwell like your old self. You're not enslaved to that anymore, loved one. It's time to get our eyes back on the Lord. This is where true freedom comes from. What does this new nature look like? New power, new heart, new desires, new mind, new image leading to new freedom. What does new freedom lead to? Here it is, new fruitfulness. New fruitfulness. Living lives that honor and glorify Jesus Christ. I love Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Awesome. Now just take a look at that and, and look at those seven things that we just unpacked. That's a snapshot of the new nature. Do you really honestly think that you can bring out the new you on your own? Sorry, Juan. I'm going to Jesus. You cannot bring out the new you. It is impossible. I love, I love how Danny Aiken sums this up. You'll see it on the screen. It says, Jesus did not come to die on a bloody cross to make us kinder and nicer persons. He's not just giving us a facelift, a polish on an old dead thing. He came to dramatically, personally, radically, and eternally transform us and make us new people. It is by the new birth that he accomplishes this glorious work. Therefore, you must be born again. So the question that I need to ask you, one of the most important of your life, if not the most important, is this. Have you been born again in Jesus Christ? If you're here and you're like, man, I just got dragged here. I thought I was going for lunch somewhere with someone. Listen, listen. You're not here by accident, loved one. You're not here by accident, have you been born again? Let that question sink into your heart and mind. Have you repented of your sin and confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing that he came to earth as fully God and fully man, lived a perfect sinless life for 33 years, paid the penalty for our sin on the cross where the wrath of God was poured out on him that you and I deserve, died, and three days later 
rose again in victory. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you made that decision? Do you believe that that is true? And if you have, brothers and sisters, are you living out your new nature by the power of the Holy Spirit that's now in you? I mean, just take a look at those seven things. Where is it that you need to bring before the Lord right now and say, I'm not living out the new nature by the power of the Holy Spirit. I give that over to you, Lord. Confess that to him. Whether I'm still living in that, like I'm a slave to that sin. My mind is not being renewed. It's wandering to places that it shouldn't go. My image, I'm so concerned about what the world thinks about. Listen, listen, just bring it before him. It's a new day in Jesus Christ, amen? We confess that. We repent of it. We don't sit in guilt and condemnation under it. And we start to walk in freedom and fruitfulness for his glory. Yes, Lord. This is where the victorious life begins. To live in victory over the world, you must have saving faith in Jesus Christ. And from that, we live in victory over the world by our ongoing obedience to Christ. By our ongoing obedience to Christ. Key to victory number two, you must live in ongoing obedience to Christ. Look at the back half of verse one all the way to verse three. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. John now gives us the evidences of one who's been born again. Here's the evidence. How do you know if someone's born again? He's been talking about this all throughout his letter. And it is this. There's an increasing and ongoing love for God the Father and other Christians. That's why in the back half of verse 1 it says, Whoever has been born of him, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we growing in our love for them? Now, because this world has done a great job of distorting the term love and giving us meanings that actually don't mean love, let's look at what God is calling that love to look like. The Greek word for love there means agapeo. Agapeo, which means to take pleasure in, long for, and do what God prefers in loving that other person, in serving that other person. What God prefers. Not what you and I feel like they deserve. What God prefers. Okay? It's to see them as precious as God sees them. Is that how we are seeing one another? In this church, in our church, in Ottawa, in the church of Jesus Christ. See, I think you can see by that very definition itself, this is a supernatural love that cannot be given by the world. You can't manufacture this and say, I'm going to come and start loving my brothers and sisters in Christ today. Laying my life down for all of them. Really? Really? Just try that. It's not going to last. Because it's a supernatural love that comes from God himself by his power at work through us, through our new nature like his. Hey, you, know, you notice the interesting thing? Um, children always take on the characteristics of their parents. Like father, like son. When we are growing in our love for God, God's love for our brothers and sisters in Christ increases in us. Children will always take the characteristics of their parents. Are you growing in your love for one another, Harvest Brampton? Are you? Is it tangible? Is it showing? Because here's the reality. If I could sum up those verses, it'd be this. A deepening love for God will always lead to a deepening love for others. You cannot separate these two things. 
This is why I don't understand. I had a conversation last week, again, where someone says, well, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. That doesn't make sense. In love, I just say, that doesn't make sense. If you're growing in a love for Jesus, you're going to be growing in your love for your brothers and sisters. Increasingly, agapeo, by his power at work in you. And John states here in verse 2 where this deepening love for other believers comes from. How do we grow in our love for each other? By loving God and obeying his commandments. By loving God and obeying his commandments. Now, commandments gets a bad rap. Remember, this is all commandments. It's like God's going to smack me or something. Listen, listen. Let's get an accurate clarity on what commandments actually means. The Greek there means a charge or order God gives us through his word. A charge or order God gives us through his word. And verse 3 goes on to say that our obedience to God is the proof of our love for God. It's not that we're trying to earn favor with God. Our obedience to God is the natural outflow of an increasing love for God. We want to obey him. But then, notice this, watch this. Then John goes on to say something staggering right here. Which completely flips on its head what many people's ideas of what obedience to God's commands looks like. He says at the end of verse 3, notice this. He says, and his commandments are not burdensome. What? His commandments are not burdensome. You know what the burdensome term there means? In the Greek, it means oppressive. Heavy. Grievous. Something that makes a person unable to function. Or enjoy free movement. Now just stop for a sec. Isn't that the predominant mindset in our society today? About scripture? Does this sound familiar? I'm not following Christ. The Bible's too restrictive. It's just a bunch of legalistic rules and regulations. Do, 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 do. Honestly, seriously, why would I follow that if it is limiting my freedom? It's drudgery. It's the death of my joy and keeps me from doing all the things I want to do. I want to have freedom, man. This is the 21st century. Okay. Loved ones, we need to recognize right there that this is the lie the devil works so hard for you and I to believe. Christians and non-Christians. He works so hard to get us to believe that. Why? Because the truth of God's commands is the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ray? Well, check this out. John Bloom put it so beautifully this way. The commands of God are only liberating. That is freeing. Especially in their limitations. What the devil knows, and we often fail to see at first is that trespassing beyond God's merciful limits is not the freedom of self-determination. It's selling ourselves into bondage. Whenever we obey a command of God in faith, he sets us free or keeps us free from the blinding, oppressive, destructive slavery of sin and increases our capacity for joy. The commands of God are not burdensome. They are the narrow gate to life and true freedom. And few that be there find it. And notice this. Notice this. It is absolutely incredible, church, that God's greatest commandment 
does not command our performance, but our affection. You say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? God's, God's greatest commandment, know this, has nothing to do with our performance. What, you got to do this for me, earn this for me. Do he commands our affection. What are you talking about? What's his greatest commandment? You'll see it right on the wall. I'm so glad those are still on the wall. That banner, Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Look at what it says. And he being Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God. Notice that? You shall not do this or you shall not, you shall not eat certain things and you shall not do this. For, no, most important thing, greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your souls and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything else, God commands our affection over our performance. So question, how are you, view, how are you viewing God's commandments? If you're a non-believer here today, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, how do you actually view God's commandments? Restrictive, burdensome? Maybe you're here and that's how you're viewing them. Freedom killing. And in love I say this to you, church. In love I say this to you. If that's you this morning, you're feeling that way simply because you don't understand his commandment. We just need to look at the greatest commandment. It's not legalism. It's love. It's not do, do, do. It's Jesus Christ saying, I've done it. Come to me, taste and see that the Lord is good. Stop trying so hard on your own. And you say, well, wait a second. Why would God focus on this as his greatest commandment? This world says I got to do, do, do. Why would God say, yes, come to me, love me, give me your affection in my power and you will take care of the rest. Why, why, why? Here's why. John Bloom goes on to state, he finishes this great quote by saying this. In commanding us to love him most, God is bidding us to enter the door of heaven. He's commanding our greatest joy. He's commanding that we receive and treasure the most valuable treasure. That we experience the deepest satisfaction into most satisfying person. That we most enjoy the most enjoyable. That we trust the most trustworthy. This is why, loved ones, Christian, true Christians are so increasingly eager to keep his commandments. Because they increasingly taste his joy, his grace, his peace, his presence, his comfort. And their desire for this world increasingly fades. Because they see it for what it is and are like, that's not going to satisfy. That is going to leave me empty. That's going to leave me broken. I want to draw near to Jesus because there's my satisfaction. There's my joy. There's my restoration. There's my comfort, and he deserves my greatest affection. That's what he calls me to. Affection, not performance. A growing love for God is the motivation for obedience to God and loving others. It's not drudgery, it's desire. It's desire for him. And as the desire for God grows, desire for the world decreases, and we're free to love God and others with an eager obedience 
There's too much of the world in the church and too little of the church in the world. This is why the greatest thing that people need from you, hear this, hear this, parents, hear this, spouses, coworkers, neighbors, pastors, leaders, small group leaders, it, this is why the greatest thing that people need from you is your growing love for God and personal holiness in him. You want to grow in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ here? Grow in your love for God. You want to grow in love with the church? Grow in love for God. By extension, you want to grow in love for your wife, husbands? You want to grow in love for your husbands, wives? Grow in your love for God. You want to grow in love for your kids, parents? Grow in your love for God. You want to grow in love for your in-laws? Yeah. Grow in your love for God. You want to grow in love with your coworkers, your neighbors? Grow in your love for the Lord. This world has it so backwards. Its focus is for you to love yourself. And all that leads to is hurt and brokenness in your relationship with the others. You know the one thing the Bible does not command? We're talking about the commandments of Scripture. Hey, what's one thing the Bible doesn't command? It never commands you to love yourself more. It assumes that we're doing that really well. Notice that? It always says, love the Lord, vertical love, and love others horizontally from that. It never commands you to love yourself more. Only when God is in his rightful place will we be able to love others the way we are called to. So question, how do you grow in your love for God? Here's five quick things. It's like this, write these down. Number one, through Christ. That's what we looked at in verse one. Through a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Not an intellectual relationship with Jesus. A personal saving relationship with Christ. You grow in your love for God. Number two, from that, you grow in your love for God through his word. Through his word. As it renews our mind and as as it realigns our heart's desires to his And it changes us as it is living and active. Number three, how do we grow in our love for God? Through prayer. Through prayer. Hey, spoiler alert. You know uh, the greatest prayer you could ever pray? Here it is. Lord, help me to love you more. Literally. It's the greatest commandment. Lord, help me to love you more. Lord, help me to hunger for you more. Lord, help me to want to want you more today than I did yesterday, this afternoon, than I did this morning. You want to replace a love for the world? It has to be replaced with a love for God. Sin can't over, or flesh can't overcome flesh. It just can't do it. You want to replace a love for the world? Replace it with a love for God and watch what happens. Watch what happens to your love for others. Fourthly, how do we grow in our love for God? Through Christ, through his word, through prayer, through corporate worship. Through corporate worship, not forsaking meeting together. There's so much power when God's people come together. We do life together. Here it is. Lastly, through ongoing obedience, as we looked at in verses 2 to 3. Again, we're not talking about sinless perfection, loved ones. We will never be sinless on this side of eternity. But we are talking about perseverance in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we fall, when we sin, we confess that sin, we repent of that, and then we say, that has no hold on me. And Jesus says, get up, let's go, follow me. Follow me. To live in victory over the world, 
we must have a saving faith in Christ. We must live in ongoing obedience to Christ. And in that, last key to victory is this. Through all of this, you must remember the victory that you have through Christ. You must remember the victory you have through Christ. Look at verse 4 to 5. Climax moment right here. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John finishes by giving the greatest assurance that any person could ever have is that if they are in Jesus Christ, if they are born of God, they have overcome the world. Now, write this one down. What does that term overcome mean? The Greek word for overcome means this, to conquer or have continual victory over. To conquer or have continual victory over. Now, what is the world there? What is the world? This is the world's deceptive system. Priorities, perspectives, system of goods, riches that are all controlled by Satan and are incentives for us to sin. Making a priority what the world says needs to be a priority. He says, you've overcome that. And what is the victory that enables us to overcome the world? He says it so clearly. Our faith, not your finances, not your stuff, not your relationship. Our faith, our trust and confidence in Jesus Christ, that he is the only savior of this world and that in him alone, through his great promises to us, he has given us all we need for life and godliness. Hey, question, loved one. In that trial you're facing right now, in that sickness you're facing right now, in that grief you're experiencing right now, in that discouragement you're under right now, do you believe that in Jesus Christ he's given you all you need for life and godliness right in the middle of that? Because if that's true, and if that's where our faith is, then it allows us right in the middle of it to say, Lord, don't change my circumstance, change me in the circumstance and help me to love you more now. We're not negating the pain. We're not minimizing it, but right in the middle of it, that's what true faith enables us to do. Endure every trial, and as John MacArthur says, emerge victorious over them all. And faith is just choosing moment by moment to believe that what God says is the true, right, and best way in every situation we face. Trusting in your faith, not your feelings. Feelings are great followers, but they're horrible leaders, loved ones. Let's just put that on the table. Doing what? In faith, choosing to believe that what God says is true. Even when I can't see it, even when I don't know how he's going to respond, I'm choosing in this moment to follow your word and believe that your way is the best way and will prove true. And know this, Jesus Christ will never fail to uphold, strengthen, protect, and care for us no matter the hardship, trials, suffering, or temptations that we will face in this world. He has already defeated them. Amen? How do we know that? How do we know that? Let's just take it back to the source. John 16, 33. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me, not in yourself, not in your stuff, not in the perspectives of that this world says you need to live in victory with, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, opposition, discouragement, trials, despair. Hey, loved one, take heart. I have overcome the world. Take that and embed that on your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me to believe that is true. Last question of the day, church. 
Are you overcoming the world or is it overcoming you? In the temptations that you're facing, in that fear of man that continues to plague you or the fear of failure, in the desire and pursuit of comfort or pleasures, in your drunkenness, in your uh, anger or impatience, in the anxiety, in your doubt, is the world overcoming you or are you overcoming it by the power of the Holy Spirit? Where is God calling you right now to remember the victory that you have in him? And I would say even press this one step further. Think of that one thing that's been coming to your mind. Where am I being overcome? That I don't have to be overcome by that anymore if I'm in Jesus Christ. Write that down, confess it, give it to him, and start walking in freedom. What is that one thing? Loved ones, if we are to overcome and live in victory over the world, we must have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Can't do it without it. We must have ongoing obedience to Jesus Christ. And we must always remember the victory that we have through Jesus Christ that he has purchased for us in his great love for us. How will you respond to that today? Let's pray. Father, this is a special moment right now. Lord, your word is so clear. Thank you for that. Thank you for giving us all we need for life and godliness. Thank you by the power of your Holy Spirit. You help us to understand your word. I pray right now that under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, not a spirit of guilt or condemnation, but there would be such a spirit of freedom in this room right now, knowing that that conviction you're giving is not to condemn us, as heard this weekend even at Free Indeed, but it is to rescue us. And so I pray in Jesus' name that, God, this would be a place where anxieties are cast upon you, fears are cast upon you, sin is cast upon you, And we would know the truth that in Jesus Christ, as Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that you have set us free and we don't have to be yoked again to that yoke of slavery. And for those here who maybe for the first time have been encountered with the eternal reality that apart from you, we can only expect to suffer separation and hell for eternity. For those who have heard this for the first time or heard it again and have yet to choose to follow you, I pray right now that they would not harden their heart to you, that they would see the urgency of this moment, that they are not here by accident. And God, that your spirit and your power, God, would open eyes to see and that today would be the day of salvation. And as we sing this last song together of the victory that we have in you, I pray it would not just be an intellectual ascent of a song, but a heartfelt response to know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And in Jesus Christ, we have victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.